0: Good morning, church, and good morning to everyone joining us online. My name is Sang Wu. I'm one of the leaders of the Chapel Sydney. And it's always such an amazing privilege to share the Word of God with you all. Before we start, let's pray. Father God, open up our hearts today to hear Your Word. May You be everything right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Once upon a time, long, long, long ago, there was a young 12-year-old boy. This 12-year-old boy, he grew up in a very religious family, a lot of restrictions, a lot of things that he couldn't do, a lot of things that he had to do. You know the types that went to church like three times a week? Now, one day at church, he overheard a conversation between two members, and he went something like this. See, one of these members' colleagues at work had just given his life to Christ. He had just been baptized and declared that he was a follower of Jesus. But this member of the church, he he was jealous of this man. He said to his friend, man, I'm a little jealous of this guy his friend's like, why? Because this colleague at work, he was a worldly man. He got to enjoy everything in life. He had no restrictions. He did everything he wanted to do every single day without any guilt. He didn't have to follow any rules, or abide by any laws. He was free. But this church member, he was a nine-monther. You know, you guys know what a nine-monther is? No. <laughs> I'll explain what it is. I thought it was a word. I think I created the word. but a nine-montha is you've been going to church since you were in your mother's womb. So by the time you are born, you've been going to church for nine months. Makes sense for a nine-montha, right? See, this, this um, member was saying, "I'm a nine-montha." right? I've been going to church all my life. I've always had to do all these things. I've always been restricted. I never had freedom. I always had to, you know, abide by these rules, rigid laws. I mean, I get Jesus. I get salvation. That's great. But I wish I got to enjoy the world first. And when this little 12-year-old heard this conversation, this was like one of those light bulb moments, right? Right? You see, to this little boy, this was the plan now for the rest of his life. He was going to live like he wanted to live, without any restrictions, do whatever he wanted to do, and then he was going to give his life to Christ after, only after, he got to enjoy all the pleasures of the world. That was his plan. You see, friends, to this little 12-year-old boy, the cost of being a follower of Christ. It was just a little too much. Interesting story, right? But then it makes us think, what does it actually mean to be a follower of Christ? And is there a cost? And if there is a cost, what is that cost? And most importantly, is it worth it? So the title of today's sermon is The Cost of Following Jesus. Now, we have been in the book of Mark, and in the first week, Pastor James did a fantastic job talking about who Jesus was, how he was the Messiah who came to save us from our sins. And last week, A.B. talked about how Jesus is a friend of sinners, and everyone is welcome to be a follower of Christ. And now, before we think about what the cost of following Jesus is, let's, think a little, let's talk a little bit about why Jesus calls us to follow him, all right? So let's turn to Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boenagus, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, this passage shows us, as AB mentioned, where is AB? Anyway, as AB mentioned, um, that Jesus calls everyone to be his disciples. There's no discrimination to who he calls to follow him. It doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is. It doesn't matter, you know, um, if if you're educated, if you're well-versed in the Bible, if you know how to pray. Jesus calls every single one of us to follow him. But the question is, why does he call us to follow him? For what reason? For us to do what? If we look at verses 14 and 15, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So the first reason why he calls us is that he calls us to be with him. Discipleship is first and foremost being with Jesus. This is talking about being in a deep and personal relationship with Jesus. 24-7 with him. Talking to him, laughing with him, crying with him. Just sharing your life with our, our, our Christ. What a privilege it is to do this. And just like the 12 that Jesus called to follow him, every single one of you guys, every single one of us are called to follow him and enter into a personal relationship with Jesus as well. So we don't have to actually be envious of the 12. Right? We have that privilege Be with Jesus as well. Now, the second thing Jesus called them to do and calls his followers to do, he come to follow him, be with him, and he sends them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Jesus didn't just call his disciples to hang out with them and have fellowship with them, he was teaching them and equipping them and preparing them to go out into the world and preach the gospel, the good news of salvation, to bring more people to Jesus, that they were supposed to be Jesus' representatives in his ministry. And not just that, they were given the authority to drive out demons, in which they actually did. But how does this relate to us? When Jesus calls us to follow him, he's calling each and every one of us to share the good news. Not every single one of us will become pastors or preachers or missionaries. In fact, most of us probably won't. But every single one of us has a story. Every single one of us has a testimony. Some of us may be 9 monthers And the story is how you navigate through the trials and tribulations of being a church girl for the whole life. Some of us may have these crazy testimonies of how Jesus found them. Some of us may have drug abuse, physical abuse stories. Whatever the story may be, he is calling us to share it with those around us. I was actually ashamed of my story. I really was. When I came back from China... I didn't want anyone to know about my past. I really didn't. And I didn't tell anyone. But a brother of mine, this, this brother of Christ, he, he actually conf- he didn't confront me. He just said, "Hey, this isn't your story. This isn't, this isn't your story of be- failing in life. This is God's story of love, grace and redemption. It's God's story that needs to be told. Because there is power in our testimonies. There is power in our struggles. There is power in our stories. And it can break strongholds. You see, we may not be walking down the road driving out demons every single day. None of us probably will ever do that. But every single one of us has that story of God moving in our lives. And that has the power to drive out demons. Demons. That has the power to break the strongholds. There is authority in our testimonies because they're not ours. They're God's. Belong groups started this week. It's only been one week, but there's already some amazing stories coming out of the groups. Belong Groups are small groups where we come together to share our lives. And we ask each other a simple question every fortnight, and that is, How has God moved in your life? And it's so exciting to see the stories of people crying, laughing, just journeying together and being encouraged at the stories of Jesus in their lives. I'm so excited to start Belonger with the boys. It's going to be so good. So invite your friends, invite your families, invite your colleagues Invite them to your belong groups. If you haven't joined a belong group yet, talk to Pastor Steve. Even if it's for one day, just go and share your story. If you don't want to share, just listen and see how God's moving in your lives.
1: So we see that Jesus
0: invites everyone to follow Him and that He invites us into a personal relationship with Him. He calls us to preach the gospel and drive out demons. But what is the cost of this? What is the cost of following Jesus? And that was my (laughs) introduction. Let's have a look at Mark chapter 8, 34 to 38. Steve looks a little angry right now. (laughs) I'll be honest, he's right there just staring at me. Blind. Okay, Mark chapter 8, 34 to 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus isn't playing around in these words. There's some powerful, convicting words in these verses. Let's unpack it one at a time. So verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. We see here that Jesus tells us that there are two costs in following him. And the first one is to deny ourselves. What does that mean, to deny ourselves? Jesus isn't just telling us to deny ourselves from certain things, restrict ourselves from certain things. He actually means to deny ourselves. You see, we want to be at the center of our lives. We want to have control. We want to have the freedom to do whatever we want to do. We want to be gods in our lives. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you cannot live in a self-centred life focused only on what you want to do. Because to deny yourself means to die to yourself. If we don't die to ourselves and we're filled with just what we want, how can we be in a relationship with Jesus? If He's calling us to be His followers, if he's calling us to be his followers, to be in a deep relationship with him, how can we be in a relationship with him or anyone if everything is about me, 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 what I want, what my goals are, what my dreams are, what my desires are? Jesus is telling us to deny our very own nature because let's be honest, guys. Deep down inside, every single one of us are sinners, and every single one of us are selfish. I look at a baby. I find them fascinating, right? No, nothing against babies, right? They, they're cute, yeah. They've got a massive head. So not proportioned to their body, they just keep, you know. But the thing I find the most fascinating about babies is that they are so selfish. Like, jeez, feed me, hold me, give me. Now, I like babies. I'm not, you know, I'm just giving you an example. Because because babies, right, they haven't developed those skills yet to, to hide their selfishness. Babies, that's just the pure, you know, Nature of a human being, we see that. High school kids, they're a little different, right? They've developed some sort of skills to kind of, you know, but adults, oh, we're like masters at this stuff, right? So good at it. Like, I'll be honest, I'm going to be 100% honest today. You know, it's not like we're being recorded or anything, but even when I try and help someone, even when I, you know, do good, good deeds, help a mate out, go on a mission trip. There's always a part of me, whether it be a big part or a small part. There's always a part of me that is helping or doing this good deed because it makes me feel good. Even when I'm being unselfish, I'm actually being Selfish. This is who we are. But to follow Jesus, He is telling us to place His priorities, His purposes, and His path ahead of our own. And what are they? It's to love the Father and to love His people, to live a completely selfless life, live a life of giving and serving and sacrifice even to the point of death. And since we are selfish and sinful at our core, and that is our nature, He's telling us to die. He's telling us to become nothing so He can become everything. That's the first cost. The second cost of following Jesus is we must take up our cross. The cross. The cross to those original audiences of Mark That was a symbol of death, but not just any death, because crucifixion was the most painful, suffocating, humiliating, shameful way to kill someone. The person being executed was stripped naked, flogged, and they were forced to carry that cross on their back the cross would have weighed up to 60 Ks or even more. Lug it on their back and take it to the point where they were being executed, and they'll nail him to that wooden cross, and you will die a suffocating death, which may last a couple of days. When Jesus tells us to take up the cross, he is telling us to follow him, and when we do, there will be persecution. It's not an easy road. There will be pain. There will be suffering. There will be humiliation and shame. Maybe even death. Remember when Jesus told us to follow him, the second reason to do so was that we can go out and preach the word and drive out demons. Now when we go out to preach the word and we go out to drive out demons, The enemy, the prince of darkness, is not just going to lay by. There will be persecution. We're blessed to live in a country where we can come here on a Sunday and worship God without the fear of death or imprisonment, like some other brothers and sisters of Christ in other parts of the world. But even here in Australia, we face a form of persecution. I don't know about you guys, but I'm finding it increasingly difficult and unpopular to be a Christian here in Australia. We're considered to be backwards thinking, old-fashioned bigots who are in the way of progress. And the thing that people hate the most about us is the exclusiveness. See, we believe that Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can go to the Father except through Him. That's what we believe. That's what we proclaim. And the world hates it. Absolutely hates it. Because the culture is all about respecting each other's opinions, right? You have your belief. Just don't force it on me. I'm the first one to admit to you guys that I'm not always proudly proclaiming that I'm a Christian. It hasn't been too long that at work people have actually known that I'm a Christian. And even then, I'm not like an angel at work. I've actually got friends from work here today. They used to work with me. So you can ask them if you want later on. Just be nice, guys, right? Most of my friends are non Christians. They really are. And they make fun of me for my beliefs. I've actually got some friends who think I'm playing a seven-year joke on them about being a Christian. They think that I'm going to punk them and say, hey, hey, I got you, I'm not a Christian. That's how much they think it's impossible for someone like me to be a Christian. And I could probably bet that nearly all of us, if not all of us, have had moments where we hide who we are and whose we are. My eyes just met tarns, except for tarn, maybe. You've got a gift, my brother. You've got a gift. A lot of the times, it's so much easier to hide who we are, blend in with the world, and just be happy being a Christian on a Sunday with our Christian friends in our safe little space. But when Jesus says, take up the cross, remember, he's saying we've got to carry it on our backs, butt naked, and lug it for the world to see. There's no hiding. In that same way, when we take up our cross and we follow Jesus, everyone should be able to see it. We need to speak boldly about our faith. We need to boldly share our testimonies and we need to boldly live out our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Even if the cost of doing so is shame, humiliation, persecution, and even death. So two costs of being a follower of Jesus. Denying ourselves, taking up the cross, and following Him. To be honest, this sounds pretty full on. Not very appealing, does it? It just seems so big, this cost. It just doesn't seem worth it. But Jesus tells us, he warns us, that there's actually a mighty, deadly cost in not following him. And there are two types of people who do not want to follow him. Let's look at verses 35 to 38. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world Yet, forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The first type of person who doesn't want to follow Jesus, they are the self righteous religious types. You know, the ones that think that they can earn their way into salvation by doing good deeds by following these different religious laws, by praying hard enough, by reading the Bible every day. But there is no death to themselves for those people. They may think that they're denying themselves because they're restricting themselves from the worldly pleasures that they're not supposed to embark on, But they're not dying to themselves because they are still so full of themselves and their self-righteousness. They think they can earn their own way into salvation, that they can save their own life in eternity. I haven't actually shared this much, but my family was like this when I was growing up. this It's a little bit difficult. They... My family, they believed that you needed to be perfect to follow Jesus, right? I had forgotten this part of my life and I was talking to someone and it just came back to me. When I was a kid, we couldn't do anything on a Sunday, like literally nothing. We couldn't watch TV. We couldn't, watch, um, we couldn't listen to the radio, I'm old, so there wasn't computers and stuff back then. But we couldn't literally do anything in any form of entertainment. The crazy thing is we couldn't even spend money. That was considered sin, to spend money on a Sunday. We couldn't, I couldn't go on a sleepover. We couldn't work. And there were all these rules. I mean, there was this one book of hymns. And that was the only book we were allowed to sing from. Every other type of Christian music, they were considered to be demonic. Crazy. And there was this one type of Bible, this ancient Bible. And for those Koreans out there, you won't be even able to read it because it's like in sign language or something. It's weird. But that was the only Bible that we could read from. Every other version was considered to be literally demonic. They were so self-righteous that they said anyone who didn't come to their church, anyone who didn't come to their church was not considered a Christian or a follower of Jesus. How self-righteous. They really did restrict themselves in a worldly sense. I remember that They couldn't even buy something expensive because they thought that was sin to enjoy the things of this world. That was sinful. But it's okay to badmouth other Christians about their beliefs and say they're not going to go to heaven because they're reading a different Bible? Is this what Jesus means by denying ourselves? Can one really save their life and earn salvation by their works-based religion. Is this what Jesus wants us as followers? No. Verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it they have completely misunderstood the gospel because the gospel is actually saying we cannot save our own lives because we are damned sinners. We will always miss the mark of God. We can never have perfection in this life because that's who we are. It is only by God's grace and the finished work and the blood of Christ that we can have salvation not by religious acts and duties. Jesus doesn't want religion. He he doesn't want religion. He wants us to give our all to Him, to be in relationship with Him and believe Him and not trust in our own goodness. By trying to save our own life with our self-righteousness will eventually make us lose our life in eternity. The second type of person who doesn't want to follow Jesus is the one who wants to save their life in this world. They want to continue to live, their, live for themselves to fulfill their needs, their wants, and their goals and their desires. They have no intention of wanting to relinquish their lives for Jesus. Maybe they gained the whole world. Hey, some have. But at what cost? I'm going to give you a really far fetched example for this. So I need you guys to come along with me with this one. It's probably the most absurd example you'll hear for the rest of your year. But hopefully, it gives us a pretty good idea of what Jesus is saying. Let's say I lived a perfect life, I was born a perfect baby. (laughs) I love you, sister. Don't forget, I'm an MC at your wedding. <laughs> I was born a perfect baby. Had the perfect looks and body that eventually grew. You know those faces? I'm, I'm old, so I'll compare myself to Brad Pitt, right? Oh! <laughs> I said, play along with me, guys. Come on. Right? Perfect body. <laughs> I was born in the perfect country, to a perfect family, at the perfect time. I went to the perfect school, had perfect grades. Went to the perfect university to study the perfect degree and graduate with perfect grades again. I got a perfect job, bought the perfect car, and then bought the second perfect car. And then the third perfect car, right? Why stop at one? Dated and eventually married the perfect person, Jenny. (laughs) Bought the perfect house, bought the perfect investment properties, donated to the perfect charity, had perfect children. Could be one or five, doesn't matter, just had the perfect children, every single one of them. Who then went on to find their perfect partners and had their perfect marriage, which meant I had perfect grandchildren. I had a perfect retirement, then had perfect great-grandchildren. And heck, since this is just a dream anyway, I had perfect great-great-great-grandchildren. Because I lived to the perfect age. And then what? I had the perfect death. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Even if I live the perfect life, and every single one of you guys know how ridiculous that example was because there's no such thing as a perfect life. But let's say I did, my end is the same. What in my perfect life can I exchange for my soul? What can I give so I can have my soul back in my perfect life? There's nothing. See, to both these types of people who did not deny themselves and did not take up their cross and did not follow Jesus, Jesus is saying you will lose your life forever. He will say that he is ashamed of you. And he will say, I don't know you when he comes on that glorious day with his angels. So this is the cost of not following Jesus. So if this is that cost, then is the cost of following Him, is the cost of denying ourselves and taking up our cross, isn't that worth it? If we die to ourselves and Jesus lives in us, if we believe in Jesus as our Messiah, our King, our Lord, our Saviour, and if we follow Him, He will not be ashamed of us on that last day. And He will say, I know you, my child. And we will be with Him forever and ever. Let us not put our hopes in ourselves. Let us not put our hopes in things that will disappear, in things that are temporary, because everything in this world will disappear. They will fade and they will become nothing. The only thing that will stay and be in is eternal and will not disappear is the Word of God. And He is telling us, To follow him. That if we lose our temporary life here in this world, we will save our eternal life to be with him. If we follow Jesus, death, death is only a gateway to our eternity with him. But there is one more reason why the cost of following Jesus is worth it. And the reason has to do with our life here on this earth right now. You see, that little 12-year-old boy at the beginning of the story, that little genius was me. As I mentioned earlier, my childhood in my self-righteous family was suffocating. Everyone was so angry. Everyone was so burdened. There was always a dark cloud in our family, but how could there not be? Because they were carrying burdens that they had, they could, no way they could carry those burdens. So when I heard the story of that church member and his colleague, I really did have that light bulb moment. I really did say, that was what, the way I'm going to live. You know who my hero was growing up? In the Gospel of Luke, there were two criminals who were crucified next to Jesus. One of the criminals hurled insults at at, at Jesus, saying, if you're the Messiah, come down from the cross and take me with you. Just hurling insults at him. But the other criminal, he believed that Jesus was Christ. And he said, please remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus' response, my son, you will be in paradise with me. I'm like, man, that's it. That's my hero. Yeah, I'm sure he was a bad person. That's why he was crucified. But he got to do whatever he wanted to do. No restrictions. He had all the freedom in the world. And then on his deathbed, right before he died, he was saved. That's what I thought freedom was. I thought that if I believed in Jesus, there was no freedom. And that is how I lived. I chased the world like you couldn't believe. And a lot of you guys know my story, that my freedom, my freedom led me to a jail cell in China. And that's where Jesus found me. And after I gave my life to Jesus... And I became a follower of Christ. If there is one regret in my life, it is that I didn't give up my life to Jesus earlier. I wish I had denied myself. I wish I had taken up the cross. And I wish I had followed Him earlier. Because friends, there is nothing that can give us more freedom and more joy than following Jesus in this life. (laughs) There is no greater joy and freedom than dying to myself and knowing that I do not have to earn my way into salvation. That is so freeing. That it's not based on my good works, but the finished work of Jesus Christ which will grant me eternity. There is no greater joy and freedom than denying myself and taking up my cross to follow him because I am no longer shackled Down by this world, and I am no longer chasing the dreams of these false dreams of fulfillment in my life by pursuing wealth and these worldly pleasures, chasing things that will eventually disappear. My goal and purpose in this life is to be in relationship with Him, to live for Him and for His glory. This doesn't mean it's easy this doesn't mean that I'm suddenly this perfect holy person. It's actually the opposite. I sin every single day. It's a daily struggle. And it will be till the day I meet Him face to face. But I will die to myself. I will take up my cross. And I will follow him every single day. Because Jesus did the same for us. He denied himself for us. And his was the ultimate denial. He's God. But he became his creation. A lowly human being. And Jesus took up the ultimate cross. He carried all of our sins on that cross and was crucified, a sinner's death. He bore all our shame and humiliation and He made the ultimate sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin and died for us. Us who deserved nothing but the death that we deserved. Knowing this here, truly believing this and understanding the grace of God and how our salvation was bought by Jesus' blood, there is no greater joy in this life than following Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Saviour, our King. It is worth denying ourselves. It is worth taking up our cross. It is worth everything to follow Jesus. Because without Him, we are nothing. So, friends, let us be nothing so He can be everything. I want to finish with this verse. And this verse has become my life verse. Those days when it's just so hard to deny myself. Those days when it's so difficult to carry that cross and to follow Jesus. This verse gives me hope. It gives me strength. And friends, I pray it gives you the same. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Let's pray.